welcome to My Favorite Theorem, the podcast that was already quarantined. Uh, <laughs> I'm one of your hosts, Evelyn Lamb. I am holed up in my house in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I'm a freelance writer. So honestly, I have worked in my basement, you know, every day for the past five years, and that hasn't changed. Um, this is your other host. Hi, I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida, which is open for business. But you can't go to campus. So, okay. uh, yeah, we we moved all of our classes online two weeks ago. Um, I'm just teaching a graduate course this term, so that's sort of easier for me. I, I feel bad for the people who have to actually lecture and, uh, and and figure out how to do this all at once. My faculty have actually been great. They really um, they stepped up. And remarkably, I've had very few complaints from students. And I'm the chair. So, you know, they, they would come to me. And it's just mm-hmm. really not. I mean, everybody has really taken the whole thing in stride. A lot of anxiety out there, though, among our students. Yeah. I really, this is, um, it's a really challenging time for everybody. And I, I just encourage my faculty to, you know, be kind to their students and to themselves. So let's, yeah. uh, let's, let's shelter in place and get through this thing, right? So, yep. Yeah, we had an earthquake a, a week and a half well, ago right. to just like shake things up uh, literally. So <laughs> that's, it's just like, oh, as if a pandemic sweeping through town was not enough, we'll just literally shake your house for a while. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> we can go outside. We have a shelter in place order, but it's been 90 degrees every day for the last week. Uh, and so, you know, you know, I like to go bird watching, but my favorite bird watching spot is a city park and it's closed. Mm-hmm. And so I have to just kind of sit on my back porch and see what's up. But Yeah. Oh, well. Well, Yes, we're we're making it through it yep. through it, and I hope. I mean, by the time this is, we have a bit of a backlog in our past episodes, and so mm-hmm. I, who even knows what's going to be happen what happening when this is um, airing? But whatever is happening, I know our guests will be very thrilled to be listening to Ruthie Horch. Hi, Ruthie. How are you today? Hey, I'm managing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a weird time. Definitely. So. Uh, what do you do and where are you? Yeah, so I'm in New York City right now, which is kind of right now the hotbed of lots of new infections. Um, uh, but I've been in my apartment for the last two and a half weeks and haven't really directly been experiencing that. Um, I work for an organization called Bridge to Enter Advanced Mathematics. Um, so um, we're a education nonprofit. We work with low-income and historically marginalized youth, and we're trying to create a realistic pathway for them to become mathematicians, scientists, engineers, programmers. Um, we start working with students when they're in middle school, um, and we try to figure out like what are the things you need to get you to a place where you'll have a successful STEM career and. So we do a lot of different things, but they all kind of are to that purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm so glad that we have you on the show to talk about this um, because, yeah, I've been thinking like we really need to get someone from Beam on here because I think Beam is just such a great program. Um, my my spouse and I donate to it every year, and I mean, obviously not every year. But I don't even know how old it is, but but you know, we've made that part of our yearly giving, and yeah, I just think it does great work. So. Um, does that have programs in both New York and LA now? Yes. So we started it in New York City in 2011. Um, and a few years ago, we expanded to LA. Um, so the LA programs are still pretty new. Um, they're building up um, kind of starting with students in the first year of contact and then like adding in 
uh, like programming for the older students as that first class gets older. Um, so they now have eighth graders, <laughs> and that's their oldest class, and they'll continue to add in the ninth grade and the tenth grade program, etc. Mm -hmm. as it goes on. Um, the other kind of exciting thing is um, last year we got a um, grant from the Gates Foundation, and um, that grant was to partner with other local programs in other cities to help them build up programs that could do some of the same things we do. Um, so it's not the same, like, um, comprehensive, like, really intensive support that we give our students in New York City and L.A., um, but... Uh, Assuming summer camps don't get canceled this summer because of Corona, mm -hmm. um, there are going to be day camps in Albuquerque and Memphis um, that are advised by us. Oh, oh that's cool. so great. Yeah, because that's the one thing about it is that it is so localized. And of course, important places for it to be localized. But, mm -hmm. you know, the more the the wider, the better. So that's awesome. And what's your what what's your role there? What do you do? Um, yeah, I have a hard time answering this question always. <laughs> um, so uh, I work in programs, which is like I work on things that are directly affecting students. Um, I um, run one of our summer camps in the summer. So I run a sleepaway camp at Union College mm. in which students learn proof-based mathematics for the first time. Um, the students at the sleepaway camp are all rising eighth graders, and so they get to learn number theory and combinatorics and group theory, oh, cool. kind of. Um, they also do some, like, modeling and programming and stuff. Um, during the year, I do some managing our other programs team, so supporting other staff. Um, I also do all of our faculty hiring, so... Um, certainly we hire a lot of people just for the summer and most of them are, um, so we hire college and university students, we hire grad students, we hire professors in various different roles. Um, and I handle all of the like hiring people to teach math classes. Wow. That's a lot. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Are, are, you, um, are, you, are your programs, um, sort of face to face or the online? Is it sort of a combination of stuff? Yeah, so our summer we run six in-person summer camps each mm -hmm. summer. So there's um, two in upstate New York that are sleepaway, one in Southern California that's sleepaway, and then uh, one day camp in LA and two day camps in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, and those are all like in-person, face-to-face. And then during the school year, we also have um, Saturday classes, which is a mix of like life skills and enrichment. Um, and we also do in-person advising. So we have office hours where students can come ask us any way, anything. And then also like kind of more intensive, like how do you apply to college? Um, how do you uh, get into other summer programs or other like STEM opportunities? Mm -hmm. um, so most of our programs are in face, uh, face-to-face. Mm -hmm. um, right now we've had to cancel a bunch of our like year-round stuff. So we don't have Saturday classes right now. Um, we are doing one class for the eighth graders virtually because we really thought it was critical. Um, and at the moment, we're hoping the summer programs will still run, but uh, it's really hard to say what's going to be yeah. going on. Yeah, well, yeah. fingers weeks. crossed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But as wonderful as it is to talk about Beam, mm -hmm. what we what we're dying to know is what is your favorite theorem? <laughs> yeah. So. Um, this was actually really fast for me to think of. Um, my favorite <laughs> theorem is Faulting's theorem. Um, so Faulting's theorem is also actually known as the Mordell conjecture because mm -hmm. Mordell originally conjectured it um, in the same paper in which he proved Mordell's theorem. 
I believe. Um, so, or at least during the same process of research for him. Yeah, and, and so for for longtime listeners, um, was it uh, Mathilde Laline who? Uh, that was her favorite theorem. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's right. right. So we're kind of dovetailing right right in. Okay. Um, Yeah. So Mordell's theorem is about the... So um, when you look at elliptic curves, um, they have a finitely generated abelian group. Mm -hmm. And Mordell's theorem is the theorem that proves that it actually is finitely generated. Right. Um, So uh, when I say the finitely generated part, it's actually only looking at the... Um, rational points on the curve. So um, we care about algebraic curves kind of in general, and then we want to think about like how do different algebraic curves behave differently. Um, and because I'm trained as a number theorist, I also specifically care about um, how many rational points are on that curve and how they behave. So um, uh, kind of this intersects also with algebraic geometry. And in some sense, this is a statement about how kind of the arithmetic part of the curves, the rational points interacts with the geometry of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of one thing that people care about a lot in geometry is um, the notion of a genus. This is like one of the ways to classify things. Um, and of course, when you're looking at like kind of visual shapes, the um, one way of thinking about the genus is how many holes does it have so if you're just looking at a shape that's like a big uh you know sphere there's no way of like poking a hole through it without like actually breaking it apart and so that has genus zero because there's zero holes um but if you're looking at like a donut um a torus that has one hole because there's like one place where you can like poke something through um and then you can generalize from there that like having more holes is like higher genus um and there's so that's kind of like a (laughs) wishy-washy way of looking at things in a very visual way um there's ways to like define that kind of formally in the algebraic sense but in the places where both definitions make sense the definition is the same Mm -hmm. um and so when you look at algebraic curves we can ask ourselves how do genus zero curves act differently than genus one curves act differently than genus two curves and does that tell us anything about the number of rational points Um, and so it turns out that with genus zero curves um genus zero curves are actually really just conic sections um so Mm -hmm. you're like um basically you know like the nice lines that you study in like algebra in high school um and those have infinitely many rational points right so um when i say rational point you can kind of think of it as being like the points where uh the components have are rational values mm-hmm. um and genus one curves are actually exactly elliptic curves so um in that case that's when mordell's theorem uh kicks in and the rational points have are this finitely generated abelian group mm-hmm. um and sometimes they have infinitely many rational points and sometimes they don't and it kind of depends on what this algebraic structure this algebraic group structure looks like Um, So that's kind of like the most complicated weird point. Uh, uh, And uh, for genus two or higher curves, it turns out to be true that there are only finitely many rational points on a genus two or higher curve. Um, And that's the statement of Fulton's theorem. Okay. And so I, there's something that I, 
you know, you hear like genus two or higher. And I always wonder, is there a limit to how high the genus can be of these curves? Or like, is there a maximum, uh, like, amount or I don't know, complexity that these curves can have? Um, so no. <laughs> um, and actually, uh, there's a there's a statement in algebraic geometry that makes it really easy-ish, you know, is-ish <laughs> uh, to calculate the genus, which is uh, called Riemann-Roch, and right. it gives you a relationship between the degree of the kind of equation defining it um, uh, and the genus, and like essentially the genus grows kind of quadratically with the uh, degree. Mm -hmm. There's like an asterisk on everything I'm saying. Sure. Is that mostly true? <laughs> it's mostly true. So if I'm... If I'm remembering correctly, the uh, Mordell's, let's see, Mordell's conjecture, Faulting's theorem, yeah. was uh, really important for proving um, for Maslow's theorem. Is that correct? Um, I don't think so. Like, no, but like all of these things are related to each other. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, so like kind of a lot of them, a lot of the like, common like definitions and theorems that like play into all of these things like they they share a lot but it's not like directly like one thing implied the other or like one thing. okay yeah right. Right. um in particular like for Ma's last theorem um kind of was reduced to a statement about elliptic curves right. um mm -hmm. which is about genus one curves while uh faulting's theorem is really a statement about genus two or higher curves right. oh, okay so was this was this a love at first sight kind of theorem? Um, well, I I think no. Um, I think part <laughs> of the reason that I uh, I really like started appreciating it is because I had a, a mentor in undergrad who was like really excited about it, and I like didn't really kind of understand mm. the full like implications and the context. But I was like, okay, this like mentor I have is really about it, so I'm going to be really about it. Um, and we we actually used Faulting's theorem as a black box for the REU project I was working on. Hmm. Um, so we like kind of assumed it was true, and then like used that to show other things. Um, and then later on in grad school, I like um, had then a number of things that I was like really interested in that Faulting's theorem was related to. So um, one of the things that I think is really cool that's being researched right now is there's um, a bunch of like tropical geometry um mm -hmm. that uh is being studied and this is like relating algebraic curves to kind of um more combinatorial objects right. so you can actually like translate these like curves that have kind of a more like uh, i don't want to say analytic but a like smooth like um structure and then like turning them into a question about like counting more like straight-edged structures instead mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um one of the like things about faulting's proof of faulting's theorem is that it's not um it doesn't actually give you a bound so it, mm. it tells you that like there are only finitely many points but it doesn't like give you a constructive way of saying like what is it actually bounded by the number of right. finite points um and using tropical geometry people have been able to make statements about bounds in certain situations which is wow. really cool Okay, I, mean, I always like these tropical pictures, you know, because suddenly everything just looks like um, almost like Voronoi diagrams in the plane. They kind yeah, of, you know, they, exactly. these, these piecewise linear things that um, 
So I guess it's yeah, the idea of genus probably still makes sense there in some way once you define it properly, right? Yeah, and yeah. there's a like um, kind of a correspondence between there's a notion of a tropical curve which still looks like one of those like uh, Voronoi yeah. <laughs> diagrams. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's like an actual correspondence between like this curve in al classical algebraic geometry gives you this particular diagram. Mm -hmm. um, Nice. And so you, you say it was very easy to choose this theorem. Um, so what's your like elevator sales pitch for uh, <laughs> this theorem? And keeping in mind that no one is going to be in an elevator with anyone else anytime soon. You know, we're right. staying far apart, but you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's kind of amazing that geometry can tell you something about the arithmetic of a curve mm -hmm. um i think this is what like drew me to arithmetic algebraic geometry that there is this kind of relationship um when you think like okay arithmetic geometry those are like totally different fields people study them in totally different ways um, um but in fact it turns out that the geometry of a curve can tell you information about the arithmetic um and that's just like bizarre uh and also, like, very powerful in that you can make um, a statement about, like, how many rational solutions there are to an equation using uh, correspondence and geometry. Mm -hmm. um, the, like, RU project that I worked on uh, actually has a statement that I think is really easy to understand. Um, if you have a rational polynomial, that gives you a function from the rationals to the rationals, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can ask yourself, um, uh, how many to one is that function? Like, mm -hmm. how, many, how many points get sent to the same point? Um, and if you look at only rational points, um, our RU project showed that, like, it can't be, it, it can't be more than four to one off a finite number, fin finite number points. Mm. Um, so if you kind of are willing to ignore some finite number of points, then like, and no, no polynomial is, oh, no rational polynomial is ever more than four to one. Interesting. Um, and that's like, feels like a very powerful statement. <laughs> and it's because we had this like hammer of Fulton's theorem to just smash in in the middle. <laughs> that's really fascinating though. No, so no matter how high the degree, it's no more than four to one. Mm -hmm. huh. That's... I wouldn't have off guessed that. Off a finite number. Off a finite number, right. Yeah, okay, right? yeah, like, sure, sure. Yeah, Generically, yeah, weird. right, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but I think the real powerful thing there is the, the Fulton's theorem comes in and yeah. says, oh, actually, high degree means high complexity means high, high genus. So. Right, right. Okay, cool. So another thing we like to do is ask our guests to, uh, to pair their theorem with something. So what pairs well with Fulton's theorem? Um, yeah, so this is... Uh, Maybe a little bit of a stretch, but um, Good. I've been living in New York City for four <laughs> years, and um, I love bagels. Um, mm. and they're like definitely like one of the best parts of living in New York City is like <laughs> yeah. I'm always two blocks away from a really good bagel. Sure. Um, <laughs> traditionally, bagels are like genus one, so like. Mm -hmm. It's actually like not quite appropriate. You have to like I don't know do the like fancy cut to increase the genus. There's like a way to cut a bagel to get um, <laughs> a higher genus. Um, but I still think since we're thinking about genuses, we're thinking about complexity of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, like you cut the bagel in in half, you know, to get 
like the the cream cheese surface and that then just stick them together and you've got a genus too <laughs> right it, put a little cream cheese on the side you know flop yeah right yeah yeah. I mean, if we're cutting holes, we can cut, cut as many that's, holes as we can. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, are you more, like, what do you put on the bagel? Yeah. Or um, and what kind of bagel also do you prefer? Yeah. So I, I mostly like everything bagels. Mm. Um, of course. Yeah. Th- great bagel. There is a weird thing that goes on where some bagel shops put salt on their everything bagel and some don't. And mm. I feel like the salt is important. Yeah. Agree. As long as it's not too much. Like, just the right amount of salt is... Yeah, it's definitely yeah. important. A salt bagel um, is a pretzel. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I I don't actually eat cream cheese because I... Um, oh. So I do eat fish sometimes, but mm-hmm. I generally don't eat dairy. Mm. And um, I... So I usually get, like, tofu scallion spread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, like, tofu spread that gets sold in the, like, bagel shops here is actually really good. Mm. Well, yeah, I'm not surprised. I can't get a decent bagel in Gainesville. I mean, there, there's like there's there's a couple of bagel shops, but they're no good. And, yeah, uh, you know, so that's, that's this is what you get for leaving New York City. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's funny actually. One of our quarantine projects we're thinking about is uh, making bagels. I, I've made bagels one other time, um, but yeah it's, it's kind of a nuisance you know that that boiling step is really i mean and it's crucial but it it, it yeah. just takes so much time and, and space and yeah yeah I, I mean they were not nearly as good as like a real bagel shop bagel but fun to play with and, yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah so so what's everyone doing to keep themselves occupied so far i've I, i'm making I, i've got i've got a batch of sauerkraut fermenting i just uh i just started um a batch of limoncello that'll be ready in a month um nice. uh i i made scones um maybe that's it yeah how, how about you guys well i'm still trying to work 40 hours a week because we're like well i'm doing that too uh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um we've you know i'm i'm we're still you know trying to help our students respond to the crisis and like mm-hmm. um helping you know support them both kind of academically but holistically because yeah um, it's very stressful but, yeah and at the moment we're still doing all of our prep work for the summer still which mm-hmm. is a huge undertaking yeah mm-hmm. yeah um but when i have free time <laughs> um i've been i've been cooking more um and i'm actually also working on writing a puzzle hunt mm. Ooh, cool yeah well, if if that happens, we'll include a link to that in the show notes. If it's the kind of thing that you can do, like, off out of a particular geographical place. Yeah. So the puzzle hunt I'm helping to write is actually for Math Camp. So oh, okay. before I worked for Beam, I worked for Canada USA Math Camp, and um, you know, in theory, they're running a camp this summer, and um, one of the like traditional events there is. Uh, camp i think the puzzle hunt often gets put up after the summer but I'm oh not cool sure. mm. yeah have to check. yeah let's see i so the last um the last thing that i uh or library book that i got out from the library uh it, it was actually supposed to be due like the day after the library shut down here was at 660 curries which is an indian cookbook mm-hmm. that 
like we we don't really cook meat at home but we like it's got i don't know maybe a hundred page section of of uh legume curries and you know a bunch of vegetable curries so we've been kind of working through that we made one last night that was great it was a mixture of moong dal and masoor dal Mm. um Mm -hmm. and yeah so we've been eating a lot of curry and just makes my like early this year plan of like, oh, I want to make more dal. So I'm going to go stock up on lentils and rice. Like mm-hmm. brilliant plan really has made it a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I love dal and yep. I feel like nobody around me ever likes dal as much as I do. This Look, this is a, this is a dal lover convention right here. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things to eat. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I, I can recommend if you get a chance to get 660 cur- curries. I don't remember okay. if it's called mixed red and lentil dal with okay. garlic and curry leaves or something I, like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually making curry good. tonight, but chicken curry. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. 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 So other than that, just like panicking most of the time. And yeah, that's yeah. a big, big pastime for me. Yeah. I've had to like ban myself from reading the news in the evening. Good call. That is very smart. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not good not, at keeping to it, but yeah, I have not done a good job with my self control with that. So yeah. I, I'm really trying to do that. I'm hoping to do some sewing projects too. Maybe making some masks that I can leave out, like for people in the mm-hmm. neighborhood to take. Like obviously not medical grade, but maybe make people feel a little better. So yeah, Ellen, my wife started doing that yesterday. She she made, you know, probably 15 of them yesterday, real quick. So nice. Th- th- it's it's not so. I mean, I, I wore one to the store yesterday, and you know. Uh, yeah you know gives hopefully gives people a little peace of mind and maybe decreases uh droplet transmission let's hope anything yeah i've refrained from armchair epidemiology uh, yeah yeah which encourage everyone to do yep so yeah i hope everyone stays safe and uh tries to you know keep keep a good spirit and help the people in your lives i Mm -hmm. I hope our listeners can do that too and i hope they find some enjoyment in thinking about math for a little while with us so yeah thanks for joining us ruthie really appreciate it yeah Yeah. and uh everyone go find beam online uh, if you want to learn more about that oh yeah follow us on social media yeah Um, so what are the handles for that yeah, I should have this memorized. You can find it on our website. They're all <laughs> linked to on our website uh, at beammath.org. Um, if you're in New York or LA, um, we have Trivia Night, which is like a like puzzly, mathy trivia, mm-hmm. um, usually in the fall um, that you can buy tickets to. So I definitely recommend that. Um, and otherwise, like um, you know, sign up for our newsletter, which you can also do on our website and. Mm-hmm. And you're on Twitter also, right? Yes, I am. Are you I at... I know how to spell my last name, though. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm at Ruthie Horch. Okay. All right. And that's H-O-R-T-S-C-H? Good job. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yes. I, it's funny. I was actually in a Zoom spelling bee last night. So, oh. yeah. I got second place. Good for you. Na- knocked out on diaphoresis diaphoresis wow yeah okay, that's pretty okay anyway <laughs> <laughs> all right well yeah. thanks for joining us and uh take care everyone right yeah, yeah. Nice bye to meet you. thanks for listening to my the music you're hearing is a piece called fractalia a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from gainesville florida they are blake crawford gus knudsen del mitchell and bao chan wen 
You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpkinnison.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics. <laughs>